Democracy, what is it good for? Are there workable alternatives to democratic governance that protects the rights of the people? How does free speech work into all this? Are democracy and free speech compatible? And should we just give up and make Aiden dictator? All that and more on this episode of Chapel Phil. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Chapel Phil, the podcast for ethically curious UNC students. I'm Samad Ranganwala. I'm Aiden Groves. I'm Marcella Kingman. Also, our f- editor and fearless leader, Lorelai, is here. So, what is free speech? Um, according to the Cornell Law Dictionary, it's defined as the right to speak, write, share ideas, and opinions without the risk of punishment from the government. Um, in the United States, that's protected by the First Amendment, which forbids Congress from creating laws that infringe on the freedom of speech, along with a couple other things. Um, however, <laughs> however, private entities don't have to guarantee this right to the public. This is true. Hence why Twitter can make you be quiet. Yeah, so this was really important in like leading up to the November 2020 election because a lot of social media websites, even though they've always had this right, were really cracking down on that just due to the spread of fake news, false information about the COVID-19 virus, fraud in the elections, etc. Um, and that led to the emergence of Parler, which was a social networking site that promised to basically let people speak freely with no censorship. But that was shortly deplatformed because it did rely on bigger tech companies that refused to support it. So it's really appealing when these places emerge where people feel like they're guaranteed the right to free speech and they don't feel like anything's being hidden from them because sometimes censorship online can, even if it has good intention of good intentions of preventing false information from spreading can generate a lot of mistrust because people might not feel like they're allowed to speak freely. Also, Facebook like didn't even do anything for the election. They kind of just sat there and just, you know, you can say whatever you want, I guess. There might be like a little tiny asterisk at the bottom of the page that says this might not be true in all cases. Like Hillary Clinton might not be a convicted child murderer, but... You know, that's like up for you. D- do your own research. You know, do your own research on the topic. Um, so, like, from a free speech absolutist point of view, the, like, argument for why, um, like, social media platforms specifically shouldn't be able to restrict, restrict speech um, kind of goes along this idea that they've become, due to a lot of their, like, monopoly status, um, like, Twitter is the only thing like Twitter um, that exists. So because of that, it's become like a public square or um, like the free flow of information and discourse. And even though it's owned by a private company, because it acts as a private as a like public square, um, like it shouldn't be restricting free speech. You think Twitter shouldn't be restricting free speech? I'm OK. No, like me personally, I think Twitter should restrict hate speech, uh, misinformation, things like that. Um, and there's a pretty like clear delineation between things that have a reasonable case from getting for getting restricted and things that don't. Um, and I think we can make a judgment call on like when those restrictions are necessary on a case-by-case basis. Um, there is like that kind of free speech, like absolutist point of view. Um, and then there's also the way that um social media platforms are 
written into law is um, under, I think it's Section 230. Um, and this was a big thing during the Trump administration because he did not like it because Facebook was like, this guy is lying to you. Um, but it's the idea that as soon that like internet companies and social media companies are protected from the information put on their platforms because they act not as like, they're just kind of a open forum and not a publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, like a Lorelai can talk about this maybe. Um, but like, cause journalism, like newspapers have to, like they, they're held to like libel standards, um, because they're editing what is being put on the platform. So if a, social media company like Twitter is going ahead and restricting what people are saying. At what point does that cross the line from just letting people say things on your platform to actively editing and like publishing content? Yeah. And I like the distinguishing factor you make where like hate speech at that point is no longer free speech really, because it's just, it's not speaking freely about your opinions. It's harassment and attacks. Um, so that's a good point that there should be less limits on true free speech, but of course always limits on like hate speech. And the United States court obviously deals with a lot of cases dealing with the First Amendment because not everything that has emerged recently was covered in the Constitution. So something that they have established freedom of speech includes the right of is using offensive words to convey political messages. But again, this is free speech overall, not necessarily what online platforms are required to guarantee. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but like I said, like the U.S. court has to establish and set precedents based on what cases it receives. So some things that freedom of speech also includes the right to do is not to speak, so not saluting the flag. Um, students can wear things to protest war at school, again, using offensive language to convey political messages. People can give money to political campaigns um, and engage in symbolic speech. So that would be like burning the flag in protest. The courts also kind of made some um, like choices about what isn't included under the right of free speech. Um, a lot of these are kind of like things that are fairly reasonable, like, um, the big example is yelling fire in a crowded theater um, because that could put people in a imminent danger because everybody's going to get run over on their like panic to get out. And that's bad. Um, we don't generally speaking, don't allow things that like can put people into physical danger as a result of speech. Um, that's like threatening people, that kind of thing. Um, I think the, thing that's really interesting is specific to schools um, because like uh, Marcella was talking about like students have the right to wear black armbands to school and I believe that was Tinker v. Des Moines right yeah yeah so the way that this case was decided um, is pretty interesting in that it says students have the right to free speech, but it also establishes that that right ends as long as, um, as soon as like that speech disrupts the classroom environment. Um, so that's a pretty like hard line dis on what isn't allowed. Um, you can't like stand up in the middle of your class and start yelling about your favorite political like slogan of the time. Man. Um, because, yeah, 
Boo. Boo. I mean, that's what I did in high school every day. When I was in elementary school, I made ballots for my whole class um, to see if their parents were voting for Romney or Obama, <laughs> and I passed them around, and I made everyone fill it out, and I got in trouble. I have got a, I, what I think is a little bit funny about the things that are not included in freedom of speech is in, inciting imminent and lawless actions, because who exactly determines what is a lawless action? Yeah, that's why. I think that there's definitely some, pretty big some, some ethical yeah. things that you can get into on because everybody here, we you know, the mo- one of the first things you learn in ethics is laws are not ethics. You do not get to base your entire ethical philosophy on what is legal and what is illegal. I think it's just ridiculous that you're not allowed to like, incite some sort of protest against a government action, basically. Because if you do that, and then anything it's little violent, they can just leave, arrest you like they've done a billion, million times, which is a true number. Statistics yeah. back me up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> inciting eminent lawless action is, like you were saying, really broad. And I feel like that just sets it up so that the courts have the ability to evaluate these on a case-by-case basis. And it kind of gives them more control in that. Yeah. So that also kind of gets into, like, the idea of democracy. Um, because the, and, like, the tolerance par- paradox, which we'll talk about a little bit later, the idea is that, once you have like a set up democratic government, um, there there's kind of a tension, at least in like American society, where you've got this idea of like the social contract theory, right? Um, John Locke and all that, and like the Declaration of Independence. Um, the idea is that the people are setting up the government in order to protect certain rights, and they give up on certain rights in the process. Um, but in doing so, if the government chooses to violate that contract in some way, um, the people have the right to dissolve said government. And that runs into a, another central tension of like how governments work in that they have a right to self-defense. Like the American government has the right to kind of keep the American government together Um, even if that means fighting against the American people in some way. Um, So the question is, at what point do we, like, if we start allowing people to violate laws because they're trying to, you know, protest something, that leads you down a very slippery slope at which point you end up in, like, kind of revolutionary anarchy kind of thing. So you have to balance those at some point and... um, or you can just be cool with the revolutionary anarchy, I mean. Yeah, that's... Mm. Like, the that. government is always going to be on the side of preserving the government. Right. No, no And way. revolution sounds good until it's like, oh, that's a lot of death, and that's a lot of, like, risk for whoever's fighting against the government. Because, Worth again... It. High risk, high reward. I mean, Vietnam... But maybe not high reward, because the government... Depends on the revolution, right? But I mean, like Vietnam, they had to fight three different wars of independence, basically. Yeah. So, like the the I, I, the idea is like every person is going to make a subjective justification, or like make a subjective decision on whether or not they believe that X action is justified. So the tolerance paradox. Tolerance paradox. Let's, let's get into that. Um. Yeah. So this is another kind of idea. Um in democratic slash free speech theory. Um, It was brought up by this guy named Karl Popper. 
this gets at how if we only have ideas that everyone agrees with or is tolerant of, then no progress is actually made towards a better system. Yeah. Um, And it also, like, the idea is in democratic governments, everybody has, like, all political ideologies should be considered by the state as, like, equally valid, you know? Um, Like, people can be, like, conservatism or liberalism is valid or invalid depending on their personal political beliefs but the state should be considering all of these political ideologies as valid and valid of expression but if all of a sudden you have um like nazis who think the entire system itself is completely invalid and want to break the system in half um then you kind of can't allow those people to have their political beliefs because allowing them to express those beliefs in a democratic system leads to the fall of the democratic system itself. Um, And that gets into that idea of like self-preservation. Like a tolerant society cannot allow intolerance. Otherwise it will in self become intolerant. Yeah. And the platform of those groups isn't solely like, let's totally change the government. It's. Let's kill people. Yeah, yeah, it's dangerous for lives. See, the problem is, all of a sudden, that runs into what do we consider intolerance? Um, Stuff that disagrees with what I think. Yep, that that's that's what it is. Joe McCarthy was like, "Hey, the commies are coming to take your kids," and so all of a sudden, we did a little red scare. And most people would agree nowadays that was kind of bad. But like, if you agree with the tolerance paradox, then that's a justified action. So what is intolerance becomes the next question that you have to decide, and everybody's going to decide that based on their own, like, you know, biases. I can do it for them. I don't, I don't see the big deal. I think that I've got this down. Hence why Aiden should be dictator. Bad things are bad and good things are good. I feel like it doesn't get more complicated. But I guess other people have different opinions than me, which is where everything gets all complicated all the time. But ideally, even if everyone has their own definition of what they consider tolerable, then according to the tolerance paradox, they're inclined to accept whatever they don't tolerate. And that would overlap with what other people tolerate. So it... mm. Paradox. Oh, paradox. So what do we think about free speech? Are we thinking... Mostly unlimited, unlimited, kind of limited, in between, limited, very limited, no I free like speech, it no in speech. The abstract. Yeah. When you get down to the brass tacks of like policy decisions, then you end up with like NIMBYs. And I don't think NIMBYs should be allowed to speak because they're, we, we don't, I, I don't like NIMBYs because I, I like people having houses, you know? Um, See, so, like, at the end of the day, like, free speech is cool and all, but why can't everybody just agree with me? I think free speech and no free speech are cool in the abstract sense as everyone agreed with me. Wait, you think both are cool? In the abstract sense of if everybody just agreed with everything that I thought. Then yeah, both that of would those make would it really cool. easy. But then I think in general... 
free speech with reasonable restrictions. Like no saying, I'm going to kill you now. The people on the street. Ah! Oh my god. No no Aiden just killed Marcella. <laughs> no yelling fire in the theater. No hate speech. I feel like those things are very reasonable. We could mostly all agree on. Yeah, it's really the spread of false information that gets me, I guess, and where I think more limits should be placed. But I also understand not all information is either true or not true and that can make people feel like news is being censored which it is all the time no matter what you think because the news organizations still have to choose which stories to run anyways which is a form of censorship if you wanted to make that argument and all of the but it doesn't feel like it as much to the average person because they just care about what they can say on the internet not what they, not the information that they receive, which is arguably significantly more important. You've got that thinking face. I be thinking. Okay, I'd like, I'd like to think that you know we could allow misinformation to exist, and that people would have the critical thinking skills necessary to you know not, but no believe it. But that would require our public school systems to teach critical thinking skills at a higher level than they currently do. Well, there's always a tendency to feel like you have special access to the truth because you do things that align with what you consider to be the truth. So there's a little bit of cognitive cognitive dissonance. Right. I believe that's the term. And when like if you think something is wrong but you're going to keep doing it anyway, like if you believe something, like if you if you're doing something, you're going to believe it's true even if it's not. A little bit that a little bit of that comes down to like scientific literacy. Um, like things might be backed up by the facts, in that you're reading a newspaper article and they've got links to like scientific studies or whatever. But if you actually go in and read a lot of these scientific studies and like read the scientific studies, um, they're gonna be like. We think this might be yeah. true, but there's no or real these evidence. These two things or are a related, but not causal. Yeah. And then, like these, and then that's getting filtered through four or five different people who are don't understand the methods. And by the time it gets to the reader, who also doesn't understand these like complicated scientific methods, they're just going to be like, "Well, the science says so." And I'm like, "Does the science say so?" I mean, I saw it on Twitter one time. It's got to be true. They can't really spread this information. Really a good example. There. Like it just makes so much sense because when you read something and it's stated a certain way, of course you're going to take it in as assuming it's fact until proven wrong. Sometimes I like to believe stuff because it makes my world a little bit more magical. Like I believed for a while. Well, I don't know. Okay. I still believe this even though I've been told by a lot of people I'm wrong um, that if penguins and polar bears like live together on the north in the north pole they would be friends and i'd I'd like to continue that belief because it would be really cute but i'm keep being told by people but that's dumb and the polar bears i think that to determine if free speech is okay we need to um at a zoo put penguins in the polar bear exhibit (laughs) it would fix it in the name of science i'm all with you Someone's got to figure out what happens when you put penguins and polar bears <laughs> together. There's only one way to do it. Make sure they have names and they're cute ones, too.
today we talked about free speech and how it's actually kind of complicated apparently and there are limits placed on it and basically we touched on what right the government has to place these limits and what right we as individuals have to put limits on free speech. Aiden, do you want to say it? Check us out at Instagram, Chapel Phil Podcast. Thank you to the Par Center for sponsoring this episode and also all the other ones. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.